Life is so much more than a diagnosis. It's about sharing time with those you love, hanging with friends who lift you up, and experiencing all those moments that bring you joy. All hits, no skips. Learn more about Cascali Ribocyclob 200 milligrams at KISQALI.com and talk to your doctor to see if Cascali is right for you. So long live singing to the oldies, jamming out to something new, and everything in between. Tonight, it's a new episode of All Rise, the legal drama where one judge is shaking up the system. When I take the bench, I'm taking a vow to fight for justice. One case at a time. Your Honor, we're going to trial. Simone Misik is Judge Lola Carmichael. Up on that bench. Everything is different. A new episode of All Rise. Freedom is at stake. It's important. Followed by a new episode of Bull, tonight at 9, 8 central on CBS. Tonight, it's the CBS original comedy, The Neighborhood. I need at least a month to prepare for a debate, not six hours. Actually, it's four hours. <laughs> no, my watch is broken, too. With Cedric the Entertainer, Max Greenfield, and guest star Wayne Brady. You gotta fund the schools or graduate fools. I stole all my lines. Look, don't worry, I got a plan. Okay, well, what is it? Okay, so I don't have a plan. A new episode of The Neighborhood. You're gonna have to give them a show. Tonight, 8, 7 central on CBS. Back on a Thursday, final hour of the show here in the clubhouse on Sports Radio FNZ. Big thanks to Matt Darty, Coach Matt Darty, longtime Tar Heel National Champ ACC Network analyst, that Matt Darty. He joins us every Thursday during the lunch hour, and he sets the plate for the cleanup hitter. Luke DeCock, Raleigh News and Observer, longtime sports columnist. He is back with us on the Technicom Hotline. Luke, how are you, my friend? I am good. How are you? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. I would, uh, and look, I'm not going to pretend to be uh, absolutely inconsolable over what happened to the Hurricanes, but I am pretty bummed for the Carolina Hurricanes, the way that that series very quickly turned south. And, you know, I saw some attempts at, uh, at trying to remain optimistic about the future and everything else yesterday, but that's a bitter pill to swallow, right? With the, the way this series took a sharp turn. It is. The, you know, the, the way that that game four ended uh, is, is uncharacteristic of the of the hurricane and you know quite frankly uncharacteristic of any team in the playoffs typically teams that that quit like that to not to put too fine a point on it don't make the playoffs uh and and, and so that was a very unusual set of circumstances but i think in the scheme of the series so here's a series that only went five games every game was 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 the teams are separated by a single goal in the last minute of every game uh, that tells you how far, how wide the gap is, despite those score lines. Um, it was not a blowout of a series; no, not a single game was. But when push came to shove in that game, when when it became big boy hockey, when Charlie McAvoy knocked Jordan Stahl out of the game with a brutal clean hit, the Hurricanes folded their tent and went home, and went home one game later. So. You know, in the grand scheme of things, the Hurricanes have a ton of skill. They have a, 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 a defense that's fit for the modern NHL game that moves the puck really well and skates really well. But the playoffs are often a different kind of hockey. And the Bruins know how to play that game. And they're built to play that game. They have guys like Chris Wagner and Charlie Coyle who are depth players but play a, a, a heavy game. They, they, they'll hit you. They'll let you know you're there. Uh, they'll let you know they're there. And and the Bruins' defense is the same way. Matt Carlo, you know, McAvoy, Zeno Chara. You know, these are guys who 
will let you know they're there. And the Hurricanes don't have a lot of those guys. They have Joel Edmondson, who was hurt for the last four games of the series. They have Jordan Marknuck, who's a you know a fourth liner who got promoted to the first line in desperate attempt to get some jam going after Andre Svechnikov got hurt. And Svechnikov will hit people, and Brett Pesci's uh, pretty can can be physical. He's not a physical player by nature, but the Hurricanes don't have a lot of guys like the Bruins have, and the Bruins have just as much skill. So that's the mix that the Hurricanes have to find. They played the Bruins twice in, in two years. They've won one playoff game against them in nine tries. That's where the bar is set in the Eastern Conference. That's the next hurdle the Hurricanes have to clear as a franchise. So so what is the outlook then? Is this, hey, it's still a, a young team with a bright future, or is there some hand-wringing and anxiety about what's next? What what should the, the next couple of years or the view of this team be after what happened against the Bruins? No, I think it's still a young team with a bright future and, and, a, and a window that, that's just opening in terms of being a contender. Uh, they need better goaltending. Uh, they need to, to, to find ways to play a heavier game. They need to be less soft, not to, again, to put too fine a point on it. They're a team right now that can win in the regular season and did a good job of that this year, especially coming into the, in, into the, the pause. I mean, they were really starting to hit their stride. But they're not a team yet that, that's built to win in the playoffs. And, and, and last year's run, you know, they, they swept the Islanders. That was another team that at the time was not built to play in the playoffs. And the Hurricanes had a dramatic skill advantage. Um, they were able to hold off a, a weary Washington Capitals team in the first round that was bigger and stronger, but didn't have the energy or the youthful vigor uh, or, quite frankly, the goaltending that the Hurricanes got from Peter Morazic in that series. And then they ran into a wall against the Bruins. And they ran into the same wall this year. So, yes, yeah, it's, it's an extremely skilled team. It's a team whose best players are, are some of its youngest players. Uh, incredible defense. Uh, but this and last year should be a, a lesson, if, if they're paying attention, that skill is great and skill gets you to the playoffs. And you need skill to win in the playoffs because the Bruins have skill, too. You know, don't sell the Bruins short. They're not a big Bunch of thugs. They've got some of the best players in the league out there. But Hurricanes need a little more of that on the, on the bottom half of the roster. And it's going to be interesting because this is a very analytics-driven franchise. And I'm not anti-analytics in any sense. It's just gets a pretty heavy portion of the, the decision-making quotient. And those are not typically those kind of players do not reflect well analytically. So my suspicion is they're going to have to go a little bit against the, the, their instincts, a little bit against the grain to get players like Jordan Martinuk, whose analytics aren't great, who can help them in the playoffs. So we'll see. I think that's kind of an internal contradiction they're going to have to wrestle with a little bit. Luke DeCock, Raleigh News and Observer. He's with us on the Technicom guest line. All right, let's go here. Uh, you wrote a piece two days ago, I think two days ago, entitled uh, Football on an Empty Campus. UNC sends clear message that student athletes don't exist. Now, I, I, there are plenty of, of things in this article that you and I definitely agree on. But why, to your mind, is this the definitive proof or the smoking gun that, you know, now officially the student athletes, they, they're not student athletes, they're just athletes? You know, I, obviously, I think you and I would both agree that there, there have been, you know, this has been a, a trend that's existed for a while. But the NCAA's legal justification for all of its rules, for the very concept of amateurism, is that, their, their quote-unquote, student-athletes are students who just happen to play sports. And what we've seen now at UNC and elsewhere, I, I, you know, people think this is singling out UNC. It's not. It just happens to be the most visible and local case. And if NC State or 
East Carolina had been in the same fix that UNC has found itself in, then, then you know, the argument would change. It's not a UNC thing. It's maybe a UNC Board of Governors thing because it's their boneheaded plan to bring every student back to campus in this huge rush and think it was going to be okay. But the NC argument has always been these are just students who happen to play sports. And what we've seen now with the pandemic, it's a very clear lens, that that's not the case. There are students who are being told, go home, it's not safe for you here, if you can, go home. And there are athletes who are being told, you can stay here, we can make it safe for you. And to me, when you get down to matters of life and death, and there are students and there are athletes who, let's be clear, are also students, you know, that there are some of them very good students, many of them very good students, but they are not students who happen to play sports. They are athletes who happen to also be students. And that's crystal clear with the fact that the campus is open to them and not to every other student other than, you know, international students and people with nowhere else to go. But if you can go home, go home. If you're an athlete, we will take all the steps we need to do to make it safe for you, which is great. If you're going to keep the athletes there, you need to keep them safe. And by and large, schools have done a pretty good job with that. But the idea that they're just students who happen to play sports is, to me, this was an absolutely clarifying moment of, Obviously, they are a completely different class within the university, and it's time to stop pretending they're not. Well, I, I mean, look, if you want to go that way, I think it's probably long past time. But at the same time, it's not. It's always been the case that they're there to play sports in exchange for a, a, a full scholarship, most of them, anyway. And so, I mean, look, we could start getting into the weeds with this. I could say, well, Luke, they, they all stay on campus through winter break to keep playing basketball games. And, you know, these guys are there during summer for workouts and things like that. Hold on, just get, give me a second here. You know, all, all I'm saying here is, Luke, that like these, what I said yesterday, again, there, there's so much more of this that I think you and I do agree on than we don't. What bothers me, though, is part of the narrative that it seems like we're painting this picture of these student athletes, and I'll call them that for now, but if, if only out of repetition, that they're being led to the stadium on a prison bus in shackles and being forced to play. Luke, these kids are overwhelmingly telling you they really want to play. Hell, their parents are telling you they want them to play. So I just have an issue with this being the smoking gun, apparently. That's all. I don't know how that's even relevant. Of course they want to play. That This isn't about them necessarily. This is about a system that's set up to restrict what they can do, the money they can earn, even away from sports. You can't have a YouTube channel and maintain your eligibility. Uh-huh. And the justification for that has always been they're just like regular students. And when it came, when push comes to shove, when it came to to health, the university is willing to go to extreme lengths to protect the health of these athletes, lengths it can't afford to or won't go to to protect students at large. I mean, how can it be any clearer than that? It's, we're talking about health. We're talking about their lives. We're talking about a pandemic and athletes and rights and privileges that the university won't extend to the student body. You can't say they're just like regular students. Well, no, they're not, because regular students are more often than not paying to attend, whereas these athletes are giving their services on the floor and the field in exchange for a scholarship. They've never been the same. Like that, Again, I, I keep stressing this because I think that right, – well, go ahead, jump in there. Say, never, say, you've never read a, an, an NCAA legal brief then. My point is not what it was. My point is there's no way to defend this system now. The entire system has been defended on this concept. And the NCA has one lawsuit based on this concept. It is not an antitrust violation because it is in the interest of maintaining amateurism to restrict what athletes can do. 
So I guess my question for you is then, and by the way, to your point about the system itself needing reform, needing change, yeah, name, image, and likeness, fix it, triple the stipend. What I don't care. Whatever these kids do, whatever much more they, they make, does not impact my life in any material way. I guess my thing is though, is this being used as a reason to say, hey, they're not like everybody else, so you can't play, or just to establish that they're not like everyone else? Because I think most of us already did believe that. No, I think I think we're talking about tearing down the legal justification for a system. I mean, it doesn't matter what you believed or I believed before. It matters what the NCA has been able to prove in court. And to me, this brings the whole edifice finally tumbling down. How can you stand in front of a judge and make that argument when, when you look at what's happening at UNC and some of these other schools in, in, in this crisis? It's, it's really torn the veil off. It's torn the fig leaf away. I mean, the fig leaf for the idea that, you know, going pro in something other than sports, this, these defenses that the NCA has created, it's, what, it's, it's an emperor's new clothes situation. Now. And yeah, you know, like people are like, well, you know, college athletics has value. Absolutely it does. There's no question. No one's saying to burn the whole thing down. That's what it feels like to a lot of people a lot of the time, though. That's what the narrative feels like. Well, I mean, like the, the idea that NIL, that further cost of, uh, cost of attendance, that players getting a trust fund based on television revenue is going to ruin college sports is a fundamental part of the NCAA's existence. And the reality is when you look at the Olympics, things seem to have gone on just fine when the Olympics abandoned the amateur ideal. Yeah. I mean, Usain Bolt makes billions. No one cares. It doesn't mean people stop rooting for Usain Bolt. You know, no one stops rooting for the dream team. Uh, and, and that's the argument in college athletics. That's, again, why this is necessary to restrict these things, to hold these kids back. And the, the point is you can't defend that system legally anymore. The idea that this quote-unquote student-athlete exists is not. It, it's a different class, and that class deserves rights. Oh, look, I, rights I need to be honest. most of what you just said, Luke, I, I can agree with. Again, change the system. Make it work. I do wonder, though, before we let you go, do you think the development in Chapel Hill – makes it more or less likely that the ACC, SEC, and Big 12 forge ahead? You know, that's a really good question, and I don't know the answer to that one because the plan to play was almost feels like it was independent of whether there were students on campus, despite what John Swafford said this spring. So I don't know that it does necessarily. Now, if having students back on campus and the waves of infections that were seen at UNC and, and Notre Dame and others means that you can't keep the football players safe, even with students off campus, sent home or whatever, and that hasn't been the case yet at Notre Dame, uh, you know, that, then I think it becomes a different issue. But my position on what the ACC will do and whether it should do or is, is, is irrelevant at this point is they've given themselves this lead time till mid-September, and they're going to use that to monitor the situation as long as they can before they have to make a decision. You know, a week from now, the situation may look completely different. Um, and, and, you know, obviously that they feel differently about the medical situation than the Pac-12 or the Big Ten did. And that's fine. That's their decision to make. But, but they've also given themselves more lead time to make that decision. And I expect that uh, regardless of what happens at UNC or Notre Dame or NC State or anywhere else, they'll continue to continue to, to, to wait and see. Luke, you're the man, buddy. Appreciate the time. And uh, we'll do it again next week. Absolutely. There you go. Luke DeCock, Raleigh News and Observer, with us on the Technicom Hotline. Good conversation there. Lots of folks chiming in. We'll get to some of that where we can, but we'll come back. And last night, if you missed it, one of the most embarrassing things, one of the most embarrassing blunders you'll ever see on live television.
You'll hear it next. You're in the clubhouse on Sports Radio FNZ. FNZ. All you need to know, the best sports knowledge resides right here. Listen to Kyle Bailey anywhere on the Radio.com app. This is Sports Radio FNZ. Thanks to Luke DeCock, Raleigh News and Observer for joining us. Good conversation there. We've got some live NBA basketball going on right now. The first playoff game of today's slate is underway, and it's early. Uh, about two minutes into it, 10-3, the Miami Heat leading the Indiana Pacers in Game 2 of that series. Miami with a one-game-to-none lead after taking Game 1 two nights ago. So that is underway, a full slate of games throughout the afternoon and evening to get to. And and we, we do have some more news out of Panthers training camp practice this morning. As I told you to start the show, I was out there at training camp this morning, but uh, they, they started kind of late. And uh, I, I came in furious at Matt Rule. Because, you know, I'm, I'm typically here doing all the pre-show stuff, getting ready to come on the air. But I was up at Cedar Street this morning waiting on practice to start. But they kept those guys in the bubble a bit longer than usual. So all I got to see was Shaq Thompson warming up for about a half hour. Turned out he didn't practice and uh, is dealing with a, a slight injury. But uh, doesn't appear to be too serious. There are some things coming out of this, though, like the backup quarterback battle. Uh, Matt Rule speaking to the media. Again, there's a lot that he's saying, but he just said uh, essentially that coming into training camp that P.J. Walker had the edge for the backup quarterback job and uh, that he's played well, but that Will Greer has, according to Matt Rule's own words, battled back, but that it's still too early, way too early to decide anything. So Matt Rule smoke saying that P.J. Walker had the clear advantage or the edge for the backup job coming into camp, but that Will Greer has battled back and it's still too early to decide I, I know that backup quarterback battles aren't the sexiest thing in the world, but it's something that a lot of people have interest in with this team. Yeah, and you know specifically P.J. Walker, we just saw him with the XFL, had a tremendous uh, shortened season. And Will Greer, of course, a local product here from Charlotte, Davidson Day, back when they had a football team and played at Florida, West Virginia, had a tremendous college career. But, I mean, this is good news. This is very good news if you have to look at it. If you're looking at it from the Panthers' uh, perspective, and I'm not saying this because Will Greer is a Charlotte native, but you want Will Greer to win that backup job. You spent a third-round pick on Will Greer. You took the words out of my mouth. But, <laughs> mm, I don't know, though. Logically, you're right. Logically, you're right. You spent a third-round pick on Will Greer. If you're Marty Herney, in the back of his head, he really wants that to probably work out. I think fans want P.J. Walker to win this backup job. Maybe, and, and again, you're right, because you know Will Greer played at Davidson. He's got some some local love, some fans here. But I think the majority of the fan base is probably rooting for P.J. Walker to win the backup job. But logistically speaking, you know, in terms of getting value out of your draft picks, you're absolutely right about that. Will Greer's the guy that you would like to see win the job if you're Marty Herney. That and, you know, just look at what the Saints did. They got the safety out of Florida, who's now already a all-pro rookie. After his first year, and Carolina could have gotten him, but Marty Herney was so bullish on Will Greer, he took him. So, why do you want? I understand people pulling for PJ Walker. Look, we, I love PJ Walker. I loved watching him at Temple. I loved watching him with the uh, XFL when he when I watched highlights of it because I didn't watch it because spring football, you know. But it, it just <laughs> at the end of the day, you want to pull for the guy that you put a large capital of draft into, and the fact that we're we were concerned heading into this training camp that he wouldn't even make it into his second year 
is not good. So the fact that we're hearing this right now is a good sign at the very least. And, you know, if he's ahead of P.J. Walker, at the end of the day, we don't want to see it back up. If, if, if it goes to Will Greer, good. But at the end of the day... You never want to see the guy. Right, you never want to see the guy unless he actually goes into what some people thought he would be and becomes a stud quarterback. I don't want to see him like it, it, he's an insurance policy. Well, so you got that news out of camp so far this morning. Um, you know, Andrew uh, Volert, I think it's Volert, the, the tight end who was cut on the recent episode of Hard Knocks, who delivered the now well-known line, you've got to be bleeping kidding me, has been released again by the Carolina Panthers. He has been, that, that news came out this morning. Uh, and, and I mean, it's a story for that reason because he was just on hard knocks getting cut saying, you got to be bleeping kidding me to Anthony Lynn. Well, the Panthers just let him go this morning. Matt rule was asked about that. And he said, uh, it's just a numbers game, which I mean, he's right, but there's, you know, there's a story behind that. So it makes people sit up and pay attention a little bit. So there's that. There's also the fact that Dennis Daly, who was drafted out of South Carolina and I thought really acquitted himself well last season when he was put on the field at a number of spots, by the way. Uh, it, it turns out that right now, and, and to nobody's real surprise, Dennis Daly has been starting or has been uh, you know working as the starting left guard for the Carolina Panthers to this point. Smoke, you and I have talked about this a number of times, be it left guard or right guard, um, but here we're told left guard. I There was no doubt to me or I think most of us that he was going to end up, if not outright starting it would have a huge leg up on winning one of those starting guard jobs and not just because they you know were short on numbers and didn't have a lot coming back but because he played well and he's built to be a guard at the nfl level yeah let's go complete 180 here on the 2019 draft you know dennis daly was the last pick in that draft if i remember correctly um and he showed some flashes he unfortunately was in a tough spot going into left tackle right within the first couple of weeks once greg little got his concussion but he showed some flashes of like, okay, this guy's got something. And that's what you kind of want to see in a late round pick is see some flashes. You don't want to see them be like completely horrendous. You at least want to see them actually maintain some success in the first year. And I, we saw that sometimes from Greg Little. And I think him moving to left guard would be, he's, I think he's more suited for guard in the NFL level than when he was a left tackle in college. But it's good that you're seeing some late round picks actually work out for Marty Herney right now. Yeah, well, at least, uh, you know, he's, <laughs> I know he wants to see it. He definitely wants to see that happen. So we got camp updates coming out of Cedar Street. Uh, we'll keep those coming. You got a, uh, a seam, you got a battle between John Miller and Michael Schofield for that right guard job. But there's a lot of talk about John Miller this morning because he played with Teddy Bridgewater at Louisville. Uh, he was talking to the media and said that you know, Teddy Bridgewater is still the same guy, quote, very intelligent, very humble, end quote, adds that Bridgewater's leadership stood out to him even in college. So there are a lot of guys up there. You know, between the players that have played for Matt Rule at a couple of stops or guys that have played with Bridgewater at Louisville, there's a lot of familiarity up there, probably more so than some fans out there realize. And that's that is absolutely by design. All right. We got short time left in this segment, so I want to get to it. And we opened the show with this. And Smoke, I want you to get 19 for me, please. Tom Brenneman last night, play by play voice, television play by play voice of the Cincinnati Reds was trending on Twitter. Now, I was up last night, like a lot of you, watching either the NBA playoffs or a Major League Baseball game. I, that's what I was doing last night. And I flipped open my phone, and I see that Tom Brenneman is trending. And I can't imagine why, but I want to find out. Well, it turns out Tom Brenneman was trending because he was caught on a hot mic last night coming back from break using a homophobic slur. The f capitals of the world. 
Reds Live, the pregame show presented by Ray St. Clair Roofing. There you go. That it's There's not much to hear there, but you get the gist. He was coming back from break, and he let a homophobic slur fly. And, and you know, I, I know there have been some interesting theories as to why his mic was opened early. Some some people on Twitter and elsewhere saying, I wonder if that was deliberate. I don't know. I don't know about I don't know anything about any of that unless we find out more. All I know is Tom Brenneman, son of Marty Brenneman, a family of broadcasters, was caught on his mic last night saying that using the other F word, a homophobic slur coming back from break. It didn't take long for Tom Brenneman to realize what he'd done and that he'd been caught saying what he said. And as the broadcast continued shortly thereafter, Tom Brenneman attempted to issue an apology live on the air. I made a comment earlier tonight that uh, I guess uh, went out over the air that I am deeply ashamed of. Um, If I have hurt anyone out there, I can't tell you how much I say from the bottom of my heart. I'm so very, very sorry. I pride myself and think of myself as a a man of faith. As there's a drive in a deep left field by Castellanos, it will be a home run. And so that'll make it a 4-0 ball game. I don't know if I'm going to be putting on this headset again. I don't know if it's going to be for the Reds. I don't know if it's going to be for my bosses at Fox. I want to apologize for the people who signed my paycheck for the Reds, for Fox Sports Ohio for the people I work with, for anybody that I've offended here tonight. I can't begin to tell you how deeply sorry I am. That is not who I am uh, and never has been. And I'd like to think maybe I could have some people that uh, that could back that up. I am very, very sorry, and I beg for your forgiveness. Jim Day will take you the rest of the way home. Jim Day did take them the rest of the way home. Tom Brenneman was replaced in the middle of that broadcast, which I, I didn't think would happen initially because, again, you know, living where we live, he broadcasts on a, a regional sports network. I don't, at least a part of my YouTube TV package, I don't pay to watch Reds games. Uh, and so I don't even know if it was on last night what I had on. It could have been. But then again, it fluctuates sometimes. Odds are smoke it probably was. I didn't see it, so I didn't exactly flip to it at the time, but I had my phone open. And, I mean, he went full Brockmire last night on on that broadcast and like i I'm, I'm i'm joking but what he said was repulsive what he said was wildly offensive and should never be uttered on or off a broadcast but regardless you know that was a cardinal sin of broadcasting like that's that's freshman year of broadcasting school i said earlier that's it's like when somebody tells you never point a gun at something you don't intend to shoot you never say something around a microphone you don't want people to hear and that is something that Tom Brenneman clearly did not want people to hear, but he was exposed last night, and he may never broadcast again. The Reds have suspended him, uh, as you would expect, you know, pending, I guess, their own version of an investigation. But the the thing about that was, and, and getting back to a lighter part of that, if there is one, as he's apologizing mid-broadcast there, Nick Castellanos hits a home run to deep left center field. This man is mid-apology, for using a homophobic slur coming back from break. He's mid-apology, realizing in his head his broadcasting career could very well be over. And he never bra- and he has to break stride, but also kind of didn't break stride, mid-apology, to, to call Castellanos' home run a ball that landed, I kid you not, in the judgment-free zone, in the left center field bleachers. In the left, and I, like, yes, 
For those texters who are coming in right now saying, WTF did I just hear? Did he just interrupt his apology to do play-by-play, LOL? Yes, he did. He was mid-apology for possibly submarining his own broadcasting career, called the home run in the saddest, most monotone way possible, and a ball that landed in the judgment-free zone in left center field. The, the levels of, of irony, I, you just can't script this stuff. You cannot script this stuff. He's apologizing to the people that signed his checks. It was, I have never, and I've been in this business for going on a, a decade and a half. Be it live play-by-play or sports talk radio or live television, I've never seen many things like that. Maybe anything like what Tom Brenneman did last night. And again, he's been suspended. I doubt very seriously that, you know, he, he calls another Reds game. He could. It's possible. I doubt it, though. I, I seriously doubt it. And I know we'll get the calls for second chances and redemption and allowing people to to make up for mistakes. I, I get all that. But, man, in this business, you are taught from day one to assume the mic is hot. And and that's guys like Tom Brenneman, you just assume they know better. But that guy may have very well torpedoed his own career last night. And and what's really bothersome, too, is I mean the way he said it, the fact that it rolled off the tongue so easily, the fact that it was you know so offensive and so hurtful to a lot of people. And, you know, he seemed to many like he was apologizing or more upset about the fact that he was busted than the fact that he said what he said, you know, and, and, and it's underscored. Like a lot of people are pointing out that he, he, he apologized to the people that signed his checks. I get it. You know, it's a turn of phrase and whatever else, but man, you want to talk about a terrible gut wrenching way to end an otherwise pretty illustrious broadcasting career. Unbelievable. It's unbelievable. As somebody just said, it's probably going to be a pretty short investigation. Yeah, I'd say so. <laughs> I I would say so. No doubt about it. We got one more segment to go, and I'm going to try to avoid torpedoing my own career. I I mean, we'll come back. We'll catch you up on the rewind, and, well, we'll catch up with one of Wilson and Parcell, those gentlemen coming up in about 28 minutes. You're in the clubhouse on Sports Radio FNZ. Radio FNZ. Live from Charlotte every weekday and now heard around the world on the radio.com app. It's Kyle Bailey. This is Sports Radio FNZ. You know, this is the point where I'm pleading to the basketball god Smoke to give the Hornets a little bit of luck tonight. Just a, just one big break. And I know the, the critics, the cynics out there among us would say, KB, it's rigged anyway. It doesn't matter. It's rigged. Frozen envelope. Anthony Davis, New Orleans, all of it. It's rigged. It doesn't matter. The basketball gods don't exist. And if they do, they sure as hell hate the Charlotte Hornets. Well, I, I, I get where you're coming from, but I will continue to speak to the basketball gods on behalf of the Charlotte Hornets and hope for some good luck tonight, some good fortune in the NBA draft lottery. Smoke, I will put it on record right now. If the if the Hornets land the number one pick in the NBA draft tonight, I will shave off my beard live on air. How about that? That is my offering to the basketball gods. Wow, you did something that actually will help our case here because usually when people say stuff like that, it usually happens. So You, you think? Now, well, you know how a radio bet, if if it happens, you need to go. Prime example, look at Mac last year. 
He bet that the Falcons were going to lose to the Panthers twice, and if they didn't do it, they would do a, a show from Waffle House in Georgia. And they did it. And they did it. They had to do it. So I would ask the listening audience out there, hit us up, Asa Abloy phone lines, building center text line, but the text line specifically. Is it a sufficient sacrifice, a gift uh, worthy of the basketball gods, that if they land the Hornets the number one overall pick tonight with a 6% chance to do so, that I will I will hack off this beard live on air in exchange for the number one overall pick for our beloved Charlotte Hornets. Is that a sufficient offering to the basketball gods? It feels like a soul for a soul because that beard is a part of your life. It is. I have not shaved this beard off of my face in five years. It has not come off. I I think that's about, yeah, five years, I think. It's not come off. I take great care of it. I, I, I treasure it. I prize this beard. But I will cut it off. I will shave it live on the air. You will hear the face, the beard trimmer, the clippers live on air cutting off my beard. If they give the Hornets the number one overall pick, I'll post it on Twitter you know, so that people have receipts if I need to. But hear me, please, basketball gods, the number one overall pick in exchange for the hacking off of my facial hair. Heck, that beard's in kindergarten now. It's five years old. It is. This this beard is starting school. It's getting its immunizations. I mean, it's, it's learning how to climb on the monkey bars. That's how old this beard is. And I will sacrifice it to the great gods of basketball if they land the Hornets the number one overall pick tonight. And for those of you writing in right now saying not just the beard, all my body hair, that's gross and that's invasive. And I'm filing an HR report on every last one of you. Leave me alone. Look, I'll say it too from having to look at you every single day. I don't want to look at Mr. Clean for about four months <laughs> i'll do it I, I will i'll do it if they if the hornets land the number one overall pick tonight i'll shave off the beard live on air i don't care i'm willing to make it happen i really am all right before we go any further and check in with wilson and parcel here in a couple of minutes we got to catch you up on what you've missed man it's time for the rewind <laughs> He said, shape it off and throw it in the air like LeBron before the game. <laughs> That's fantastic. All right, hour number one, Jason Lockenfora, Radio.com Sports NFL Insider, thinks the Panthers will be better than people think. Carolina and Arizona are two teams that I just feel like in that conference nobody's talking about who will be better uh, than expected. And could one of them make the playoffs? Yeah. Do I think it's Carolina? Probably not. Um but if they're 500 and there's an expanded playoff and we're getting it through a normal season, do I think it's entirely out of the question that they're they're playing meaningful football games into the holidays, you know, Christmas? I don't. Um, I don't. But this is not the ideal time to have a full new regime. But nobody knows startups better than, than Matt Rule. And it's funny, I was talking to Deion Dawkins the other day, the left tackle for the Bills after he got his contract. And I'm like... You know, you Sean McDermott and these guys are doing great things, turning around there, you know, Brandon Bean, but I'm like, and, and they're tough, but I'm guessing the toughest practices and the greatest team building you ever saw was what, what was going on in, you know, North Philly at Temple with Matt Rule. And he's like, hey, bro, he's like, there's so many similarities between the way it's turned around here and with what Rule did with us at Temple. Um, and he was just absolutely gushing about it. And, and, and you know, he's like, there's that, that, that team is going to turn it around and turn it around relatively quickly. Do they do it in one year? I'm not sure. The offense is interesting to me, though, and despite all the newness, the coordinator and the quarterback are already simpatico. So that's a big plus. Man, I... I don't know. I don't want to blow rainbows and unicorns and whatnot, you know, of people's behinds here, but... 
I just I don't think they're going to be miserable to watch, and I think they're going to be fun. I think they, they're going to compete. Now, I don't know what that means. I don't, because I don't want to be unrealistic and be the homer, but I think there's reason to believe this team could win some games and really surprise some people in certain ways. That if it, I don't know that means seven, eight wins. I'm not outrageous here, but there's some reason to, to like this team. Later in the show, Michael Felder on the amount of scorn being directed at Big Ten Commissioner Kevin Warren. A ton. Well, you also know that his, his kid plays yeah. at Mississippi State. Right. So you're, but you're, it's not okay for your cat, your guys to play, but you are sending your kid back. That, why, how, what, doesn't yeah. make any sense. And I think at the end of the day, he's under fire for not being transparent. He's under fire for, and I think that there was initially there, they were, we were told that it was Nebraska and it was Iowa, the two schools that wanted to play, and then everyone else was on board with this. But then you think about Ohio State and Ohio State. I'm sure that they're looking up and down at what's going to happen. And here's the reality. If you're Ohio State, you've got a bunch of guys that are going to go to the NFL next year. They're not going to play in spring. They will not play. And Sean Wade will not play in spring. Justin Fields will not play in spring. Um, Wyatt Davis will not play in spring. These guys aren't going to play in spring. And so now you're realizing, oh, the thing that draws people in, we won't have that. And also, by the way, we might have a team that can win a national championship, and we're not going to have an opportunity. Uh, Mike killed it today, and the Kevin Warren thing is is absolutely on point. Now he he can't control what the SEC does, but you can't escape the conversation. So you're you're not letting the Big Ten play, but your kid's going to play all season long in Mississippi State if the SEC forges ahead. I mean that that's <laughs> that is an historic level of cognitive dissonance and something that's tough to reconcile. If that happens, now that's still an if that happens, but Mike was all over it. Later in the show, Coach Matt Darty in studio as he is each and every Thursday, gave us some thoughts on who he would like to see the Hornets pick in the draft if they get, let's call it lucky, and land a top four pick tonight. This is hard for me to say, but I do like Ball. You like LaMelo Ball? Yeah, I do from what I've seen. I mean, a big, big point guard. He can handle. He can pass. Uh, I think he's better than his brother. Um, I, th- I think it'd be hard to turn him down. Obi Toppin, you know what you're going to get. I think he'll be a good pro. I would love that pick. For a long time. I would love that pick. I, I think those two guys kind of catch my attention. Again, I don't know the kid from Tel Aviv, and, and I'd have to do a deeper dive on him. But Toppin, you're going to get a good kid who can play basketball. And then Ball is unique with his size as a point guard. Mm, we didn't get very positive reaction to Coach Darty saying LaMelo Ball uh, when he made that uh, suggestion. We'll call it that earlier in the show. A lot of folks do love Obi Toppin uh, and wouldn't hate seeing that happen. Regardless, though, good conversation with Coach Darty today. If you missed it, check it out on the Radio.com app and use the Rewind feature. It's like DVR for radio. Any segment, any show for a 24-hour period, download the Radio.com app today. Looky here. He made it this afternoon. Our buddy Josh Parcell, one half of Wilson and Parcell, coming up in 14 minutes. What's up, buddy? You know I couldn't go two days without seeing your face. I know. I appreciate that. You (laughs) might be seeing more of my face tomorrow if the Hornets get the number one pick. Well, they don't. They don't need the number one pick. No, they don't need it, Kyle. But I, right? No, no, but I, just, no, I offered no. a sacrifice to the basketball <laughs> gods that if they get the number one pick, I shave my beard live on air tomorrow. Now you know what would have helped them get the number one pick. What? Lose more games. Lose. <laughs> uh, I mean, see, now all of a sudden get we want the number here. one pick. Get I've been trying to tell you for years. Get I mean, look, it's working in Philadelphia. Oh, hey. go, go read Haberstroh's piece, you bum. What did it, what did Tom write? Uh, no, it was. I brought it back from last year's pre-draft lottery oh. conversation where it was actually a, a very analytically driven look at why. 
why NBA teams are actually getting worse at drafting as opposed to better. <laughs> uh, and like analytically speaking, like is it when just you, the Hornets last 15 years or not, does he go no. beyond that? Okay. It's, it's all of the teams that uh, <laughs> when you actually, when you, when you cross reference uh, draft slotting with win shares, uh, yeah. it's, it's, it's gone down. The coefficient's gone down. It's actually gotten worse and worse that you can, he said, look, you can look at 2018, you know, and see Deandre Ayton and, you know, that whole draft class and say, well, okay, that, that one worked out, but so many others really haven't. And despite the rise of analytics and predictive technology and everything else, you'd think these teams are getting better at drafting, but in fact, they've been getting worse. I'll tell you who's gotten pretty good at drafting the Dallas Mavericks. Did you watch that last night? Dude. Do you see, do you see Luka Doncic? Yes. That okay. I don't. I, I and honestly, I don't want this to turn into some sort of argument between you and me about the tanking thing. This is what I was talking about a couple years ago when I said trade Kemba, get into the top five because that was the kind of guy. And I also like Trey Young and other guys. But either way, Luka Doncic right now, like there, there is no ceiling for that kid. He 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 has the potential to be one of the three best players of all time. I'm not saying he will be. Whoa. I'm not saying he will be. Whoa. I'm saying he has the potential. Why not? He's 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 in the playoffs against. Three of the best, well, granted, Beverly has been banged up, but against Paul George and Kawhi Leonard, and they can't guard him. Like, Jason Tatum went off last night for Boston. Philadelphia didn't guard Jason Tatum. Los Angeles couldn't guard Luka Doncic. This kid's 21 years old. He reminds me of Magic. He is Magic Johnson with a better jump shot. See, I, I, I keep hearing Larry Bird comparisons. Like I was listening to Dan Patrick that, talk fair. about this on the other day that, and it was actually largely because he is so special offensively, but that he also doesn't really, he can't guard anybody. Um, that, that right. was the thesis, but yeah, I mean, you're right. He's a special offensive player. I don't doubt that for a second. He, he, he has the potential, the potential. And I don't say this about a lot of guys to be one of the three to five best players of all time. I mean, because he's doing what magic Johnson did when magic got into the league. And Magic Johnson's one of the five best players ever, so why can't we say that about Luka? It's not a guarantee. I'm not saying in 20 years, Luka's going to have five NBA titles and four MVPs, and and we're going to talk about him in the same breath. I just think it's possible. And what he's doing right now, most points in two games, uh, in their first two games in, in a career in the NBA playoffs, he's doing it against the, the number two seed in the Western Conference, a team that I think arguably is the best team in the NBA. And uh, and and look now, everybody, every listener in Charlotte's hung up on me because they want Luka Doncic hey, in Charlotte. But just, I just I love the kid. I think he's amazing. Just be prepared that there are some listeners out there today that want to come at your throat about the the 76ers and the process. <laughs> uh, they've been chiming in a couple like like Tim in particular. Cannot wait to come at your neck today about this. Here's the thing about the the process in Philadelphia, and we only have two minutes instead of two hours, so I'll try to be brief. The, this is not the process. What you're seeing now is not the results of the process. The process ended when the NBA forced Sam Hinkie out of Philadelphia. And then Jerry Colangelo took over, made some moves that I don't think Hinkie would have made. Then Colangelo gets wrapped up in a very bizarre burner account controversy that gets, him, that gets him fired, which is weird. <laughs> and then Elton Brand has made some of the worst moves you could make as a GM. Like, I don't think Brett Brown has done a great job coaching this team, but the roster that they... Coaches move on. That's that sports. Well, but the, the the entire premise of the process was we're going to give Sam Hinkie the entire uh, runway to, to be able to see this vision through. And th- now th- I think the best argument you can make against it, and this is what you should be saying, I think you are, is most professional sports teams and owners don't have the stomach 
to do what Sam Hankey wanted to do, which was to continue to, to acquire assets and probably lose more games. At some point, the NBA stepped in and Philadelphia said, okay, we'll pull the plug. Right, and to that point, at one point in time, Sashi Brown was the architect of the future of NFL front office. Well, offices. the NFL's least, less patient than the NBA. Well, right, I, agree with, I agree with you. There's, there's so many variables that it makes it I, difficult I, I, to pull off. I'm with you on tanking in the NFL for the most part. Uh, NBA, I think, is different because one player can change the course of your franchise much more so than a player in the NFL, but no, I mean, Philadelphia is a complete mess Damn. right now. Dude, you haven't even started your show and people are coming at your neck now about calling Luca a potential top three player. You've done it already. Uh, but, well done, sir. How am I wrong? Well done, sir. How I, am I wrong? Hey, buddy, you got four hours to tell these people how you might not be wrong. I'm going yes, home. <laughs> Have a great show. See ya. All right, we got to get out of here. We tip our caps courtesy of Twin Peaks. Sports are back and so is Twin Peaks. So get to Twin Peaks. Smoke, what you got? Uh, well, Josh, unfortunately, did not mention the real star of the Dallas Mavericks, and that's Boban Moranovic. Yeah! Yeah! 13 points, nine rebounds, uh, one assist. Also Dude. starred on NBA on TNT last night, kicking it with Shaq and Charles. So that was pretty awesome. Hmm. How about that? I... <laughs> you know what? I'm not going to do that. Never mind. I will, uh, I'll tip my cap to the Steve Smith Foundation for all the great work they're doing in the Charlotte community, lest I get myself in trouble. We are back tomorrow. Looking forward to it. For Evan Smoke Ludwig, I'm Kyle Bailey. This has been the Clubhouse on Sports Radio FNZ. Shake and bake. What does that do? Did that blow your mind? That just <laughs> happened.